Real life. Superpowers. here with Micha Berkus, founder and CEO of Gifted, a SaaS for e-gifting solutions. Micha, what's up? Hey, how's it going? Good. What are you up to these days? Uh, visiting the Holy Land, uh, trying to work with my team before kind of a, a product relaunch that we're doing in the U.S. And, and trying to figure out the next steps. But, you know, visiting family, seeing some friends here. How long have you been in the U.S.? Uh, I've been in San Francisco for the past two and a half years. And how did that evolve? What did you fly over for? Uh, so I obviously I moved with, with my company um, and it, it was an easier process for my, my wife was originally from New York. So ah. it was an easier transition than most like, you know, entrepreneurs. We decided to after spending I grew up here in Israel, but I was, you know, spent six years with my wife here. She came into Israel. We met and then we decided that we're kind of trying to expand our business to To the US market and what was the business before that, that was by me yeah so, so tell us we, a bit about that so it was kind of a we have a a weird kind of story my uh, my co-founder shy put it in the best way of like we are a company that turned into a startup and not vice versa hmm. like we started off as uh, as a platform here in Israel uh, the idea was a very basic premise of you know this is gonna be like a consumer facing uh, digital gift card marketplace where you can go in buy a gift card send that gift card to your friends and family to you know restaurants retailers and stuff like that you send it via text or email uh, you can go to the store we close the whole loop with a point of sale integration and all that stuff and that was kind of the vision of like a very basic uh, it was again it was back in 2008 it was wasn't like you know today it's obvious back in the day it was that sounds like, like a startup yeah but then we we, we wanted to, to kind of you know build a company and we got into the market at the height of the Groupon explosion where it was really hard for us to differentiate our product from like a heavy deep discount type of uh, daily deal type of right. business and we had to explain to people like this is not a discounted product this is a gift card this you're not buying it for yourself you're buying it for someone else and it was a whole different um, uh, route that we had to take in order to get people to buy into the idea so that's still a thing though i see like in a, on the internet when i like search for you guys i saw, I saw a lot of like uh, confusion between or comparisons between groupon and uh yeah it was it, we're still like trying to, to to kind of differentiate us today it's a lot easier because we kind of in, in israel specifically we kind of took over the the gift card space and, and created a brand that is also a consumer facing brand and also an enterprise brand but um But the basic premise was that B2C consumer-facing product, and we found that we encountered a lot of challenges in terms of, first of all, fundraising. We, you know, we went to a lot of VCs here in Israel and investors, and we got thrown out of you know, pretty much every, every boardroom. And, um, and we, we got to the point where we had to figure out, first of all, we wanted to, to expand the product to, you know, To, to create an international brand and we ended up not being able to raise money um, why because people told us that 
this industry is a little saturated because everything that was going on with Groupon, because we are not the classic entrepreneur team, entrepreneurial team, team with like, you know, the uh, CEO, CTO, chief marketing, you know, we came from like different backgrounds. My co-founder Shai is from, you know, came in from like investing in a real estate business and a little bit of tech. I was an engineer and I worked for um, a few companies on my, you know, but it was never kind of the classic model where you sit down in front of a VC and they're like, you know, you came from the 8200 unit and you came from like, you know, computer science degree and you have like the CEO, CTO marketing type of, you know, team. Did you guys leave a full-time job for this? Uh, yeah, well, not until later on. Obviously, Shai had his own like real estate business. I was, uh, I had another company that I founded that dealt with like, you know, just web development and stuff like that, that allowed us to kind of sustain this business. Um, and we also got the usual answers of like, you know, this is nice, but this is too early. Do you have any numbers to show us about the traction that you're getting? Uh, what you're showing us right now is nice, but it's in Israel. What is like, how is it relevant for the U S market? And this did is you just like, come with an idea or did you have, no, something? no, no, we came, we, we invested our own money. We created, you know, developed our own platform. It wasn't like obviously the product that we have today, but it was kind of, a. uh, I always laugh that eventually when, when we had a, our angel investor invest in the company, we lied that we had a product and he lied that it's going to give us money. So <laughs> it was like kind of a, a weird um, situation that we got into. But but, but if, if like, it was, it's just, like if you both came from that, those backgrounds, why, why did you get into this? Like why, why, why did you want to do, uh, why, why do you, why, you woke up in the morning and you said you wanted to do this because no, because like why was this I, the well, idea? First of all, I, I, the idea was that I got a gift when I was, uh, what was it, 2008 and my girlfriend back then bought me like a Sony PlayStation and my sister wanted to buy me a, a gift card, like a voucher to buy, you know, a game for the PlayStation that I got. And she got into the car and she drove all the way to Tel Aviv and she found this store that was next to my office and she bought the gift card and she's like, she talked to my mom and my other sister and they're like, all right, we're going to chip in for that. You know, we're going to buy the gift with you. And like, she ended up spending like half a day, you know, paying for parking, driving an hour each way to get me like a piece of paper that is worth, you know, a certain amount of money. And after I got that, I came back home and I was like, well, there has to be something online that will make our lives easier when, when we need to buy someone a gift card. I looked it up. There was nothing going on. And, and the funny thing, when I moved to, to the U S about two and a half years ago, I kind of organized my computer and I found the original word document from 2008, where I got back home and I kind of wrote down what this product is going to look like. And I still have it until today. And it's very close to what we have today is like the basic premise of, of what our company is. So your epiphany is. was just getting a gift and heard, yeah. hearing about the logistics? Yeah. And, and you decided that that's what you want to do? So, yeah, like I said, all right, let's start, you know, let's dive into this, you know, let's build a basic product because I kind of wrote down and had, had a very clear idea about what we're going to do. And then I started, you know, we I partnered with Shy that we tried to create another kind of an ad platform for like discounts that worked out for a little bit and we made like a little bit of money. So that was the first, you know, funding that we put into. Right. Did you know uh, each other before? Yeah. He knows me since he's, he's a little older. He's like, he went to school with my sister. So he knows me since I was like four. Why him, by the way? He's probably one of the smartest people I've ever met in my life. 
He has no technical background. He came in, he understood that he wants to go into the tech industry looking forward. And, and you know, back in 2008, it's going to be like a place that he wants to uh, take part in. And as you know, you talk to a lot of entrepreneurs and just to find the other co-founder who's someone that you can work with. And, you know, we've yeah, that's been working. Rare. It's very rare. And it's the only person you pitched about it or do you look for other partners? No, I didn't. I didn't look for any other partner. The only partner now we have another co-founder, um, Tal, which we brought in to write, you know, the business plan for us. And we realized that we're in trouble because our business is heavily relying on the financial aspect because we deal with a lot of transactions. And I was like, all right, we're going to turn him into a, a, another one of our co-founders just because he was he was a CFO of, you know, Johnson & Johnson and he worked for different startups. And he was like, you know, he's an accountant. So each one of us brings like, you know, I bring the product and technical aspect. Shai brings the business development. He's a, a lawyer who never practiced law, but he brings that into the business and Tal brings the finance. So that was kind of... But know. you started off as a basketball player, right? Yeah. Um so how do you go from basketball to product? Well, you have no choice. Uh, I, I played basketball growing up. I grew up up north in, in the upper gallery, Sodamala. Um, I played for Galil Leon for many years. Uh, went from like the junior team all the way to, to the professional team. Played for David Blatt for a couple of years. Um, and then I was a, a, an athlete in the army. How do you call it in English? Uh, Athlete in the army works. Yeah, yeah. it works. <laughs> um, and at the age of twenty, almost twenty-one, uh, I went to uh, an exam, and the doctor told me that I have a heart condition that is not going to affect my day-to-day -day life, but I cannot play professional basketball. Anymore. Wow, that's got to be a crisis. Yeah. So that was obviously you do it from you know the age of six years old. You grow up. Basketball is a huge. And that part was of the dream. Life. Like to be a basketball player, a professional, that time, the career? No, that was my career. Maybe a little bit lucky that I was 21 and not, you know, yeah, 26 gives you an early run for that. Exactly. So I was, uh, luckily for me, my part of the, uh, the army service that I had was in the IDF spokespersons unit. And I was part of the team that built the first website for the IDF. So oh. we were like, you know, back in the day, like we were writing like, you know, the basic HTML code, putting huh. it on floppy disks and sending it with a driver all the way to Ramatgan to update the website. That was like the, the, the way things worked. And I was working as I learned how to, you know, code and then I learned how to, uh, uh, to program. And luckily for me, one of my, uh, in our unit, after I finished playing basketball, I had a, a, a guy who later on became one of my best friends. He, uh, he took me he was a reserve soldier hmm. and he took me to work at his company uh, to kind of become an engineer and work with him back in like, you know, 2000. Nice. I'm going to pitch you a theory. We've, yeah. been, we've, we've been talking to a lot of entrepreneurs. Okay. Some of them have professional, um, were prof professional athletes. Okay. Now we, we find that these. Quite a few actually. Yeah. These, like, it, first of all, it's a thing that's, you know, it's like one to four people we've been talking to, which is. So there's a correlation. Yeah. yeah. Extremely, um, you know, it, it's highlighted. But the second thing is the theory that I'm trying to build right now is that there's something about, um, I don't know, maybe it's uh, dedication. Uh, discipline, uh, I think. Discipline, also. mindset. 
um, winning attitude. I'm trying to pinpoint like what, where it is, but there's something about these professional athletes that go into high tech where they feel a lot more comfortable than going to work in big corporations. Um, and what is your insight? Well, first of all, I, you know, I was a very, I was a terrible student. Like I didn't get through high school growing up. Like I, I found that it was boring. I didn't understand why I had to do the work that I needed to do. I was sitting in front of my computer all night and just like, you know, learning how to, how to code and just getting, you know, not getting sleep and sleeping in school because I was, I was working at night, but I think, and, and I was playing basketball, but I think that there is, um, there's a competitive part of sports brings a lot of, I think really, really good values into, uh, and methodologies into your, uh, into your life from, like what? from working hard from, uh, you know, practice is obviously a huge part of, of, you know, not, it, not specifically the competitions are, you know, you play the game, the game's 40 minutes, you work out the whole week before that to get ready for, uh, the game next week. Um, and, and I also think that there is a certain level of discipline that comes in with that, uh, which obviously I found that in sport, I couldn't find it in school. You know, it's not, it's a different yeah. type of, of discipline. Maybe also failure that you have to deal with and keep going. Yeah. And, but, and, but, but like, that's kind of, so in, in school, you didn't mind like, cause you're obviously a smart person, right? So, so you, you didn't mind failing in school, but you did mind, mind not failing in sports. It's like, what, why, why? Why is it in one place? I think that my theory is that you cannot force someone to do something they don't like for a long time. I use that theory with my team members. And I think that if you take a person that doesn't like his job or his work, they'll be able to do it. They won't be able to do it well for a long period of time. And each one has its own, you know, right now I'm, Obviously, I'm not playing basketball anymore. I have like, you know, serious back problems and I can't play basketball. So I found my, you know, my, my sports right now is like, you know, ping pong. Okay. That's my thing. I really love it. I found like my, my, this is my little escape that I have from my day-to-day life where, you know, I'm trying to, you know, find a way to, 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 to get that out of my system. But, um, but I don't think... The, the problem today is that a lot of times the system tried to force you to do, and, and I'm, you know, you have to, some things you have to study, some things you have to, you have to work hard in order to get to, to a different place. But each person has its own uh, personality and its own like mental structure to allow him to deal with a different and the set system of, doesn't see the individual at all. Exactly. So for me, you know, I went from uh, working in those companies. I worked for a checkpoint for a couple of years, which is, was an amazing experience, you know, trying to work for like a corporate America type of company here in Israel, which was, you know, they brought in completely different standards back in like, you know, 2005 when nobody knew what, you know, performance reviews were and methodology to work and run a company with, you know, 2000 employees on, on the, in a U.S. standard. So that was a great experience. But then I realized that, you know, if I, if I look up and I see the people above me in upper management, I felt like I was going to get stuck. So that's kind of pushed me out of of, of that space of being, you know, working for someone else and trying to become an entrepreneur and do something of my own. And then once you decide that you do that for me, it was, you know, as soon as I did that, I became unemployable. Because of what? Just because 
get the, the control over your life, which is not always like, you know, it, it, it was way harder to of course become an entrepreneur and build your own company, but it is a certain level of a different type of freedom that I got from it, I, which is for me personally, something that is way better than just, I think that's the point. Like, I think, I think what happens to professional athletes, successful pro- professional athletes is because they practice, they, you know, you're not, you're not born good. You can be better at basketball than anybody else, but you're not born great at basketball. So you start playing and then you get positive feedback and then you practice more and you get better and you get better and you get better once you're, you already played in the professional league. So you were successful. And what that means is at the end of the day, and this is my theory, you start to believe in yourself. Which is, which is confidence, which is really important. And then leaving a place like Checkpoint, because there's two types of people, maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong, but there's those people who said, wow, this is like one of the only companies in Israel that I can get that amount of responsibility working US standard. That's one state of mind. I want to work here as much as possible and, yeah. you know, go on higher ranks. And then there's the person who already succeeded once in his life to get to the point that he wanted to. And he said, okay, I understand what management looks like. I can do this, you know, myself. Of course. But also like, you know, I wasn't, I, I I was, it was really early in my career. So I wasn't like, you know, you had the, I I wasn't the most, to be honest, I was a great basketball player, but they were, you know, I was really early on in my career and I had, you know, there were the big guns playing basketball in Israel, you know, you had like these like mega talents who were, who were really successful. And, and, a lot of times you deal with those failures of, of trying to build your career and, and you're not always as successful as you want it to be. And, and you learn from it and I, you know, you, you get destroyed by your, you know, your coach who tells you that you have to get your shit together. And, 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 you know, I remember sitting with David Blatt and my dad <laughs> after a certain, we had kind of a, a breakdown and he sat in front of me and he was like, listen, I understand what you're doing. This is, you know, you're, you're part of this team, but you got to understand this is our livelihood. This is what we make. Like, if you don't take this seriously, you're hurting my personal, I, you know, the food that I put on the table. And these are kind of the things, you know, these are le- the lessons that you learn as an athlete that has nothing to do with basketball. Like it's one of those things. Yeah. So I, I find myself using it's that. Like with, a lab for life. Yeah. And, and I find myself using that with, you know, sometimes with, you know, I, I use that in the past with my employees saying like, you guys have to take it seriously because for you, you might be a 24 year old, you know, kid who came out of college and trying to figure out what to do with their lives. If you're coming in here, you have to take it seriously because this is our livelihood. We're trying to kind of build something really big here. And I think also with respect to leaving the traditional path, like I can share from my experience and I'm not a professional athlete. I never was, uh, but I was on a path to law uh, and I was working in a big corporate office and there's this voice inside of you that's screaming, there's more to life than this. You know, you walk down the corridor and you see all these partner offices and you think, is this really the top of where I can get? Or can I do something that's different, but that's me? Yeah, but you're, you're a good example as well. So you weren't a professional athlete, but you do have a history of doing things that were successful before. And so, so, so it, it's, a, I'm, I'm saying there's a, there's a set of confidence. Like um, when, when you have enough confidence, you're not, very scared of making a change or trying to get it or not scared of failure. Which I think is maybe about gaining experience and doing a lot of different things because then you sort of know that you have this tool set uh, that you're going to be okay. And I heard the sentence yesterday actually that says 
if failure isn't an option, then success isn't either. So you have to know. You have to know that it's okay if it's not going to work out. You'll just recalculate and you'll get back on track. I okay. hear you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you left Checkpoint uh, and you had this uh, tool set of things that you saw how an American organization, uh, what they apply. Yeah. And also, like, we started, so so I go back to it. So the company started with a very basic premise of, you know, this kind of B2C consumer-facing product for, for gifting. And then we started, the only person who kind of saw what we came up with was uh, Yoav Benyaka, who's who's the CEO of Teleklal. It was okay. like a company, they had a holding company and they were doing like these small investments. I'm talking about like, you know, $100,000, $120,000, like nothing big. And I got thrown out from pretty much every VC in the city uh, telling me that, you know, this is not... When was this? 2010. Okay. And they told us that obviously the usual stuff, you know, come back when you have more traction. Uh, we don't see this apply to the U.S. market as it is. You know, you, you're great. You know, this is you started in Israel. Why won't you try to figure out what the market is in the U.S.? The products that you're selling here are not relevant for the U.S. market. The team was obviously at times not what they expected to see. Could you have done this different? Like in retrospect, was there some stuff that you could have pitched differently? It's the same way that, you know, if, if you ask me if I look back and I look at what I've like, I have no advice to give my younger self just right. because that became a part of the learning process. You, you can sit down with someone and he's going to tell you the exact roadmap to how to pitch to an investor. Between that and failing and sitting in front of investors and getting rejected time after time and trying right, to figure right. out what happens, there is no format that you can sit down and someone's going to tell you that's going to, you know, coach you through the process of, of, of failing, like you said before. Oh, for sure. But I'm thinking of stuff that's more broad. For example, the whole uh, MVP approach. Uh, that maybe, or maybe it was too soon oh, or, maybe, or maybe it was too late when we came out with a product that we had a product that was working. And now that you have a product that's working, you already, you're not selling a dream anymore. You're selling there. They want to see metrics. They want to see numbers. So we might've, you know, we came too late, not even too early. Cause when you have an idea and you kind of create your initial roadmap to your product, sometimes it's easier to sell a dream to an investor. Is it? It depends on the industry and yeah, it depends it is. on the stats where it is at the same point. Yeah. And if, if you come in with a product that has like, you know, maybe a potential number of users, the bar is set a little higher because they want to see. And how data. much can you, can you exaggerate, right? You yeah. And, and by 10,000 percent. Yeah. Year. But if you're really coming with something and I'm thinking out loud here, because clearly you did come to them with something. Uh, so, you know, the results speak for themselves, but I think theoretically, if you're coming with a product and you're saying, here's where we got this to ourselves. And the only reason we're here is because we just need finance to bring it to here. Then that sounds like a very promising pitch. So the VC industry today is less risk averse than it used to be back in the early 2000s. Mm -hmm. So for them, they would want to come back and say, all right, this is great, but I want to see a little bit more traction and some more numbers so we can later on, if we can figure out the unit metrics for, you know, your product. And if we pour in a ton of money into this platform, then we can, on the other hand, you know, for every dollar we put in, we can make a dollar 25. That's fine. But when you're not at that point, 
it's a lot easier to sell the dream than it is to sell like, you know, a, a platform that you're already invested in. And like I said, we came in with a product that was half baked. It wasn't hmm. like what it is. Today. Did you need money or were you just looking for investment? Like, no, we needed, we needed money. So we needed, that's also uh, a point. Like, we needed to hire engineers. We needed to create a team. We needed to start moving and it was miserable. And I'm talking about like, because we had a, a, a business for in the beginning for the consumer facing, we had kind of a marketplace. So we needed the merchants and suppliers to have the content content on our platform and we needed the people to buy gift cards to create the demand so we can come in and bring those merchants on. So mm-hmm. it was like a catch 22 where we had to figure out how to, you know, get both ends to take part. And what happened was we had to, that forced us to start working with our product and try to pivot towards the directions, not pivot, you know, just expand our product to directions that will allow us to get the initial traction. So for example, after we got the initial investment, uh, Yav came in and put in, a, you know, he was the only one who, who actually believed in us. And we realized that we, we started a partnership that didn't work out. And we poured in some, we had a partnership for, you know, advertising and media that we poured people onto the website. And you have a very big problem when you're dealing with gifting because I need to bring people to our website at the point where they need to buy a gift for someone else. So you yeah, have like the intent a, matters. yeah, so in the intent and you have like, mm-hmm you have a certain percentage of conversion that you get them to the website and then you have another set of conversion if it's the right time for them to buy someone uh, a gift. And what we've done is we started working with those merchants and allowing them to put our gifting solution on their websites so we can kind of capitalize on their traffic to sell our gift cards. And that created kind of the initial traction where we started seeing like, you know, people, I didn't have to worry about customer acquisition. I didn't have to worry about getting the traffic onto my branded website uh, at the specific, uh, uh, for the consumer to find the perfect time to buy the gift for someone else. And when that happened, every person that bought a gift card through, let's say, you know, Fox or Castro or Mashbil or any one of the retailers in Israel, um, they all, all of a sudden became our client because they signed up to our platform. We have their information right. and then we now you can, can send them newsletters and, be and in I touch can with turn them. them into a clients on, on our platform. So, That's so that was, hack. yeah. So that was kind of the, the, the big kind of change that we've made in order to get the initial traction. But the, the amazing thing that happened after that, which really opened us up to, to, to what the company is today was the, um, the realization that, what we had was not specifically the platform or the website. We created a relationship with all the retailers uh, in, in, in Israel. And that allowed us to build our B2B business, which we said, all right, we have all these like, you know, retailers and restaurants and, and let's start working towards uh, uh, the corporate side of customer retention, employee recognition. You know, we, we can use that content platform that we have and expand it to companies to start working with our product and give them like this awesome dashboard. This was not on your word file uh, when returning from the PlayStation. uh, Yeah, that was, and that was kind of the, the next, the next evolution of our product and how we got. And and then you transacted from, from brands in Israel to like us brands. Like, first of all, how big are we today? Like uh, how big is the company? Oh, when I left Israel about two and a half years ago, we had a team of 13 people think we're going to be somewhere around 70 people today. And how many, like, um, how many brands, like what kind of brands are working with you today? In Israel, we, in Israel, so, so that kind of, in the U S we are, um, 
we kind of did a soft launch. It was a different process. U.S. is more of a... We and it's went, a different brand. It's a different brand. In the U.S., we have kind of this process of doing, uh, uh, trying to realize what the product market fit is. You know, how are... And by the way, that connects to, to something that happened to us. We, we started building this company in Israel. And then we started... We wanted to raise... Uh, to go for another... Try, try to raise more more funding. And we went to all these like VCs that we talked to. And we said, all right, listen, like we already, we have really, really good business and it's growing and we have a product and we have validation. We have everything that you want to see and there's traction here. And obviously the first response that you're getting is, it's great that you're doing it in Israel, but we want to see traction in the US. Okay. And then no one again, not a single person would invest in a company. And then you don't have the advantage, you have the technology. Exactly. And that also needs work because this is a different model. And it's model. not just that, like, you know, the basic stuff that they tell, like, you know, we started, you know, one of our most one of our popular products was uh, doing like, you know, birthday gifting for, for, for employees and companies. And we work in Israel with pretty much, you know, companies like Everyone. Intel, IBM, HP, Facebook, Migdal, like any, a lot of, a lot of brands. And, and what happened was that we got the same answers that you would get as an entrepreneur coming into a VC for the first time, you know, you have a great product in Israel that says nothing about the U.S. Uh, you sit in front of a person in a VC and he's like, people in the U.S. are not celebrating their birthdays. And you sit there and you're like, okay, I don't know how. Happy guy. Yeah, like, I don't know how you know that. Like, I've worked in a U.S. corporate. They don't gift for birthdays. I can tell you today that our most popular product in the U.S. today, yeah. two years later, is birthday gifting for employees. But that aside, you come in and you talk to these people and they have a very... They don't celebrate birthdays. Yeah. <laughs> so, so for us, it was like one of those, like, you know, uh, you don't have an answer for that because you sit in front of a person that has. Yeah, no but you idea. can't reason with such people. He's not, it's not, that's not a good investment. So you said it with David yeah. Grinch. So. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But so, so for us, it was this another, you know, another point of, of hitting a wall and kind of not being able to expand the company to, to the place that we believe that, that we can expand it. Luckily for us, what happened is that things in Israel really, really picked up and the company really grew, you know, from, from revenues to employees to, to, to acknowledgement, you know, we had, a, we had a brand all of a sudden people, uh, we made some right marketing decisions in terms of like, you know, bringing in, uh, Jeremy Piven to do a commercial for us, uh, in Israel when he was here and we and Adrian Garnier from and Adrian the entourage. Garnier. Yeah. So we did like, we, we got lucky to have access to those people. And by the way, when we, we were talking to, uh, Jeremy Piven, it's a cool story because we started working with this advertising firm and all of a sudden I'm in San Francisco, Shai, my co-founder is in, on vacation in um, Denmark and Yoav, our investor, is in Thailand. So all of a sudden we're getting uh, our the CEO of the, of, of the company here, Jonathan, he's an amazing guy. Um, he calls all of us. He's like, I need all of you on the phone in two minutes. <laughs> I was like, what's going on? He's like, we came in with a new advertising ad agency and the first thing we told him as we started, he told him as we started working with them is like, we have no budget, we have no money and you guys have to be creative. Same day he gets a call from the ad agency and he's like, I cannot believe I'm going to do this to you, but there's an opportunity here and we have Jeremy Piven coming into Israel to... Just a family uh, visit, right? He had like a... It was a... a he was part of the uh, uh, Omri Caspi Foundation where they came into Israel to do like exploration, uh, to travel uh, with a bunch of celebrities. And they're like, he's 
willing to do like this campaign. And that means tripling our marketing budget for the year. And we had no money like to do that. And we, he's like, I need you guys on a call and we have like two hours to, to make a decision because if not, they're going to offer him to someone else. And, you know, I'm, I know obviously who Jeremy is. The guy's Kevin cashing is. in on his vacation. <laughs> exactly. So, and for him, it was, you know, he was here, might as well make a few dollars. And, um, and obviously I'm sitting with Yoav and, and Chai. They're like, we have no idea what entourage is. And, and yet Jonathan and me are like, holy shit, this is like, we, I can't believe we have this opportunity. And, and within the hour we went for it. And the next day we shot the commercial on, uh, and, and it went on, we didn't go, we didn't have money for, you know, TV. So we went on Facebook and Facebook were an amazing I, I think partner. I, would, I think that's a smart move anyway. Yeah. So, so, and, and Facebook, will, you know, they were an amazing partner and they turned this into like this right. case study and this thing got like blew up. It got like 1.5 million views in like two weeks, which is, you know, for Israel is pretty did, big. Did you re- but, uh, measure return on investment here? Uh, no, it was more of brand awareness. We okay. had no, like, we measured like the metrics, but it wasn't like for the sake of like, you know, was it for, was it B2C? Like the B2C. Commercial? B2C? Yeah, it was B2C. Why? why? What did, like your, your strategy was, or your idea was brand awareness will help customers wanting this gift card as opposed to the others? First of all, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It, it's, Sounds you know, like- if you create a, um, we, we want to create a very high end, elevated brand of gifting where the perceived value for the recipient is going to be high. So how do you do that in, the, in a sense of the, your product? Like what's your use? So you have, we, you know, when, when you look at our, at our gifting platform, you know, for, for corporates and employees here in Israel, you know, you can, people can choose to use our gift card at like the top chef restaurants in Israel that you cannot find on any gifting platform out there. So that allows you to access, you know, a certain type of crowd. Uh, we have, you know, if I look at, at us compared to, you know, our U.S. market today where I'm working in the U.S. And, and for us, you know, we have like top retailers in the U.S. We have like around 150, 200 brands that we're working with in the U.S. We have 900 brands that we're working with here in Israel. And and that brings me back to kind of building the company here. And we wanted to, uh, after we failed, you know, raising funding and Again, same thing. No one would invest. They would give us these answers of like, what you've done here doesn't apply to the U.S. You don't understand the U.S. market, blah, blah, blah. Luckily for us, the company really picked up after the whole Jeremy Piven thing. And we got to the point where the business became profitable. So that allows us allowed us to use the funds that were to invest, you in, know, to invest in ourselves. So until today, even when we moved out to the U.S. and we're establishing the business over there, self-funded? we're self-funded. Yeah. Amazing. And yeah. so how do you tackle a new country and not just any country like how are you penetrating the u.s market you've been there for two years yeah uh so the first thing that you experience is there are in terms of our product there was no difference for in terms of like the the supply and demand like we came in with a product that we knew that worked worked for internationally you know if it's working for the u.s companies that are based here in israel we can go ahead and kind of, you know, figure out that the same logic will work for for companies in the U.S. But but then you realize that uh, there is always that, you know, trade-off between do I go to the U.S. and I start with sales or marketing? 
that's kind of, you have to figure out, do I do like a hard sale process where I, you know, cold call and try to build a network and try to get the first clients? Do I build a brand with my marketing team? But to, you probably got a lot of intros from the Israeli-American brand. Yeah. So, so the first thing obviously was to utilize the clients that we had here and expand the operation to the U.S. So that made a, made our lives a lot easier when you can come in and say like, you know, obviously it was less the uh, U.S.-based companies, but the Israeli companies. You know, if I work with a startup here and they have a big team in the U.S., that's obviously a natural expansion of our service to like recognize, that? yeah, to recognize their their teams. Um, but then you start kind of working with the U.S. clients, and all of a sudden you get one client here, and there's like you know uh, uh, a set of of feedback that between the sales and marketing, you know, dilemma that I told you before, when you start doing sales and you talk to the potential clients and you start getting feedback for your product, you understand what the difference is between Israel and the U.S. So, for example, um, here in Israel, when you work with your HR manager and they're amazing, but they are, you know, you have customer success and you talk to them and they are kind of helping our clients through the onboarding process and, and through that in the u.s for example they're more accustomed to uh, uh SaaS based products so they want to do a lot of things on their own so we figured out found out that a lot of times the functionality that we had in our back office is not reflected uh on the client side so i i had calls with clients who told me like you know basically like the basic stuff of like you know changing colors of what you're birthday greeting is going to look like. And we're like, we're going to be happy to do it for you. So like every second that I talk to you is a waste of my time. Hmm. I want to be able to do it on my own. And that opened us up to, you know, and, and, and from our perspective, it's like, we have the best service in the world. We're going to do it for you. We're going to save you the time. We're going to, you, you don't have to do the work. And they're like, nope, we want to go through the onboarding. We want to have full control over everything that goes on within our product. And, and that's a, you know, a paradigm shift in terms of how you think you want to approach uh, that market, uh, you realize that for us, you know, we we, thought we did like recognition for birthdays, but in the U.S., a lot of times the um, work anniversary and milestone gifting for the number of years that you spend with the company is even stronger than. So we use the same product, but it goes to a different cost. So that's another right. realization that you have. And and okay, so what's the end game for the company now? What's the so end game? I don't I, I don't make like you know. I think a five-year plan is something that is too ambitious in, in, in the space and the market that we are in. I think that things change so rapidly. And if you look, like, there's a slide that talks about, you know, the biggest, the the, lar- the top five largest companies in the world back, you know, 10 years ago right. and today, you know that. that. So, yeah. you know, you talk about companies like, you know, the oil companies and IBM and General Electric and all that stuff. And today, not too long after, you know, Facebook, Google, Apple, like none of these companies are out there. So I can't project what's going to happen too far ahead. But I think that for us, um, you know, in the U.S., we established in Israel, we're called Buy Me in the U.S. We we came up with a brand called Gifted. And and I love the, the name of the company and I love the brand that we're trying to build. And I think that if I look at the, um, if I look couple of years forward, I think that for our market in the U.S., no company took ownership on that. Like Slack took ownership of the space of internal communication within companies. Uh, And within, you know, 
the HR space that we're living in, if you go to the US, if you mention the name Zenefits or any of the other companies, like you know that these companies occupy a, spe- a specific space. And if you go into our space, which is, you know, the recognition and, 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 and engagement, uh, there is no brand. Like you cannot come up with a name of a brand that you can pull out of your sleeve, like, you know, mm-hmm. immediately. And I think that's a space that I, as someone who sees the company in the next few years and try to figure out what the vision is to occupy that space would be something really cool. Okay. I hope, uh, and I wish for you guys that that that's exactly what happened. It seems like you're on the right track. Uh, hopefully we'll see. (laughs) What would you say your superpower is? Um, I think not as as a company personally, you, you, you must have, because you're also the founder of, from the idea perspective, that you mean creating something from zero to one. Um, so I, th- I think for me, what I, you know, I, I think that I did have the ability to see where the market is going a little bit ahead of, of, of time. Like if I look at art, sometimes you, you talk to companies and they have this vision and they create, they, they manifest that vision in their company. And then when you look ahead and you try to figure out what is the next step, sometimes companies and startups struggle and they pivot and they try to, I personally have a very clear vision of where our company is going to go in the next, like, you know, at least two, two and a half years. The roadmap is very clear. I know exactly what we need to do in order to kind of get to, to the position where we're, we're going to try to take over a specific market uh, in terms of the product, the vision, the level of um, expectations that I have from us uh, and, and, and the team. And, and, and I think that's um, a strength that we have for me and, and a company as a whole, that we have a very clear vision of where we want to be and a very clear roadmap. I think maybe you're also very stoic. Like it seems like uh, you don't get uh, easily distracted. Uh, uh, well, when, when you have that, when, when you figure out what that goal is, it's easier to be focused on, on, on getting there. But again, um, I, I love what the part that I take that I do in the company. I love product. I love uh, the attention to details. I love looking at something and try to make it and, 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 and hopefully bring it, you know, I look, like I said, I look at Airbnb and I want to get to, to, to that level of, of, of excellence in terms of, of what our product is going to look like. And I think a lot of the times it helps the team to stand behind the idea and the roadmap and what you're going to do when you put a lot of attention, you know, on the details. On the other hand, you know, if I look at, um, what, our team here and I have, uh, we have a manager here in Israel and, and, and I see what he does with, you know, the other aspects of the company that, you know, the team building and, and, and creating the, the company culture, which I'm, I'm learning from him every single day because people are, you know, they have their strength. And, and I think that for me, there's no way that you can do everything really, really, really well. And, and someone told me that you are, you are the, the sum average of the five closest people around you. And I think that's a very uh, good distinct distinction when it comes to moving forward and building a company. And do you think you know what your kryptonite is? 
Yeah, well, there, there are so many. <laughs> uh, I, I think that my, you know, not an organized person. So I took a co-founder that's a CFO that takes care of, like, I think that my, my way of dealing with the stuff that I'm not good at is to try to bring people next to me that, like I said, you can't do something you don't love well for a long time. So I, there are things that, you know, I'm not a good administrator, terrible administrator. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very creative. I know, I can close my eyes and I can see exactly what a product is going to look like in my head. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm to tap myself on the shoulder. I'm the best salesperson for my product. I'm a really good salesperson. I'm the worst fundraiser <laughs> I've ever, like I, I haven't, I don't know why, but as well as I sell my product, I can't sell. I couldn't until today to sell it to, to you know investors that i met and i what do you mean until today well i haven't really raised any funding (laughs) successfully in my life uh so so that was maybe you you have a problem feeling a bit in need maybe and maybe i have a problem you know i I don't know i've you know you see entrepreneurs that are you know serial fundraisers and obviously they crack the code on how to approach and present something to an investor to get him to buy in and that's why I said, like, we are, uh, we ended up being a company that turned into a startup. Right now, we're thinking as a startup, we try to move fast. We try to, uh, uh, you know, change our product in, in, you know, fast iterations to try to figure out what's working and whatnot. And we started off as a company that had a very clear business model. We didn't try to figure out how to make money. We knew exactly from day one how, what the business model is and what the revenues uh, where the revenues are going to come from. So that was the best thing that ever happened to us, but also the worst thing that ever happened to us because we it, it forced us to deal with a different reality. And it took us, instead of three years, it took us eight years to get to where we are. But on the other hand, we have such a strong foundation that allows us to move forward without relying on anyone, right. which is... Pretty, yeah, which is, I think, cool. what is actually trying to aim. I don't think you really want to fundraise. Uh, it's not a matter of fundraising. I think that, you know, if you are... I'm not sure a lot of times it's a choice because when you are in the U.S. market and you understand how big the market is, sometimes you won't, at a certain point, unless you really blow up, uh, you might not have a choice if you want to scale your company. I think maybe you're not willing to pay the the price of actually looping in an investor yet. Uh, Maybe not yet. Again, depends on the timing, depends on the investor, depends on... Uh, what they bring to the table depends on how they can create the synergy that will allow us to manifest the vision that we have for the company. And they believe in that, you know, I had a meetings, I had a meeting with an investor that, you know, we had like eight or nine sessions. And at a certain point I sat with that investor and I said, listen, like I want someone to fall in love with me and my company and my vision. I want to sit down with someone who's going to think we are the best thing that ever if i have to sit down here at like nine different times and explain to you why we are a good catch then obviously we're not a good fit and that's Uh, the only that's the reason why in israel they finally get got an investor in it's because it's the person i don't believe it's only because people turn you guys down i think it's because that person fell in love with you guys and you were you opened your arms only then uh yes but on the other hand you know he he had a great Yoav had a great insight to um, 
to investing in companies that are not the standard model where you don't come in with the, like I said, you don't have the CTO with the marketing and with the MBA from Stanford as a graduate or someone from 8200 or Mamram or whatever. Like we came in with a very uh, non-standard group of founders to, to this company, which ended up kind of working out. So Beautiful. All right. Uh, it would be super interesting to sit, regroup here in two years and see where you're at. Wow. I would love to, but you know, I can't, I have to focus on kind of figuring out the relaunch of our product in the next four to six weeks. So I can't even look past the next, you know, 24 to 48 hours right. in two years. We'll see what happens. <laughs> it's okay. Not going to get you to sign anything. Yeah, exactly. So it would be don't put that pressure on me. <laughs> so, I'm sorry. So thank you very much. I'm like, there's a few notes <clears throat> uh, that like, yeah, you said that, um, I'm going to go over them so you can assure me that I'm, I'm correct. So what is, uh, when you're going to a different market, benchmark the other products, uh, knowing what other, pro the standard of other products also helps you, you know, know if you have a chance in the market, but more importantly, there's insights in those products that if you don't implement, you won't have a chance in those markets. And they're also, and, and the most important thing, not specifically the products that are a direct competition to what you do. Right. Because that allows you to kind of, uh, there are industries which are really traditional where the standard of the product is not high. But if you take best practices from what other people do in different spaces, you can bring that and kind of differentiate yourself from the uh, for the specific industry that you are in that are not that attentive and that, that the attention to details is not is not there. So, okay. And, and you also talked about you can't do any, everything well. So you solved it by bringing other entrepreneurs on board. But uh, it's also um, you're strengthening your strength. So once you focused on that, you're actually doing what you love, which is what you talked about before. So yeah, that's so, good advice and and clarity. You talked about clarity, knowing uh, what the end game is. I think one of your superpowers, by the way, sorry, objectively, uh, is is um, you're very coherent and clear about pathway. Um, what that helps is helping your employers or employees or anybody who's around you having very um, a very clear path of how to get there. And, you know, there's that saying uh, that if you can imagine it, there's a better you chance you can, you can get it. it. But yeah. once you have a lot of detail, um, it helps people understand why to be with you and where to get to and how to get to the next level. So being that creative guy that has that uh, level of imagination, already imagining that pathway, I think helps everybody get uh Yeah. And first of all, thank you for, you know, for the kind words, but I think that it's also a part of, uh, um, it, it, it's the tool that gives your team the power to kind of work really hard for, for you together, because there is a joint, you know, there's a goal at the end of, they, they understand where we're headed. And, and I, I also, I met one of my friends who works at a, very, very, you know, successful startup. And, and he started looking for a job because he saw that the founders kind of couldn't realize where the company was going. And it had no correlation to the fact that they had a lot of money and the product was amazing and the team was incredible, but you got to have uh, a really good understanding of where you're headed. And if that I think happens, even if you're agile, I think it's, I think you need to be agile, but you still need a vision. Right. 
mm-hmm. right? And and uh, and the last note, which is which is uh, my personal favorite, favorite, and I'll explain why in a second. But you said if you would go back in time and and tell your former self to do something, you have no advice because at the end of the day, everything worked out because it was part of the process. Also, making the mistakes. That reminds me, we talked about before the podcast. You talked about reading the uh, Steve Jobs uh, um, biography, the autobiography, yeah. and he said uh, uh, something very similar. Um, he said that uh, you, a lot of entrepreneurs are telling the story of what they did, right? and everything was according to plan and had the clear vision and whatever. And and he said, um, uh, truthfully, is that you can never understand how to how the docs connect only in hindsight. So, so he was speaking in, in his world. It was he was speaking about dropping out of university and then went to, going to the font course. At the end of the day, that's what helped him make the design for Apple and so on and so forth. But he would never guess that you know I'm not even throwing the LSD and whatever. But you know <laughs> you would never guess that those dot connects and uh, and I I think you're you know that's us everything that you go through is a sum part of who you become and. For me to have all the advice in advance and not make a single mistake would not bring me to the place where I'm at right now. So I think that's kind of a different journey. Yeah, a different journey, different person. You know, it's 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 it becomes everything that you went through. If I don't think there's a way to you, you can always get advice, but you have to experience some of these failures and some of these things that happen and some of these like you know bumps on the road that they force you to deal with those situations that make you the entrepreneur that you're going to be. So that's, in my opinion, that's kind of probably, that's why I don't look, I don't give my young self advice because by the way, I was probably too young and too stupid to listen (laughs) because that's one of those points where you think that you know exactly where you need to go. And until you get hit, you don't understand, you know, the, the actual reality. Um, but I, I think if, if I wouldn't prevent entrepreneurs from making their own mistakes and, 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 you know, trying to figure out it's how you recover. It's how it's, it's what changes you make because of those right. things that happen. That and I think you. mistakes, uh, at certain levels, uh, guard you from much bigger ones. If you learn from them. Yes, but also, you know, even today, if I look in the last two years in the U.S. and Canada, you know, I would have made some things differently. And I'm sure that three months from now, after experiencing what our product, the feedback that we're going to have for our new product in the U.S. is going to be something that has probably changed, will change my perspective looking back on, on, on the two years before that. So that perspective pretty much changes all the time because of the stuff that happens to you yeah but i believe uh correct me if i'm wrong that mistakes that you made in earlier years uh helped you prevent same or bigger mistakes uh in these years assuming you've learned from previous mistakes yes but i'm sure i would make a million and one other mistakes uh, that are, journey. Yeah, there, there is no like so so you won't hit that specific pothole on the road but there are so many out there so there's no way of trying to predict or try to avoid like mistakes happen you're paving your own road it's inevitable yeah exactly all right lots of luck and thank you so much for this thanks for having me thanks thank guys so much. And, uh, appreciate it gifted <laughs> thank you real life superpowers
technology. Real life. Superpowers.